Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and as always, today I am joined by... Brendan Rorison, and well, Adam, we go from our last episode where we're talking about one of the, the biggest racers ever to release right in the mainstream public eye, something that people can't stop talking about, whether it be due to Game Awards snubs or just in general being one of the highest rated racing games of all time. We're moving from a topic like that in the last episode to the game this episode, um, Racing Lagoon, which it couldn't be further away from Forza Horizon, could it? You know, you say that, but a lot of people kind of want Forza Horizon to do something crazy <laughs> like this and, and kind of focus yeah. on, you know, Japan uh, and, and street racing and the culture over there from the 90s. So in in many ways, you know, this is this is the pro. I don't want to say it's like the prototypical like version of like the Forza Horizon, but it is like one of the um, sort of prototypes for like a open world street racer, the kind that we get later on. Except of course, this one is really a full on RPG in every sense of the word. Um, there's there are the car PGs, you know, like your Forzas and your Gran Turismos, and there's, you know, Midnight Club or whatever open world Need for Speed you have that has some semblance of a story, but no game quite hits the JRPG beats uh, in the way that Racing Lagoon does, while still providing something, you know, not a full open world, because of course this was a PlayStation game, but having that kind of hub world and the... Uh, process of equipping uh, parts of your car and everything kind of having more of like an items in an rpg or in final fantasy type uh process to it this game is the the purest expression of the combination of like those two worlds i think that there has (laughs) ever been and the it's only uh right it's only suitable that the company that made it was of course squaresoft (laughs) yeah exactly and I mean, my God, just to kind of get into it a little bit, the the general vibe of this game, you can absolutely tell it's a 90s Squaresoft game. It just absolutely drips with that kind of type of style in terms of the game setup and and the way the characters are designed and the like. You can definitely see how this could have been on the same shelves as things like Final Fantasy VII at the time. Yeah, and what I love about it is... You know, it's a kind of risk-taking that we just do not see in this genre anymore at all. Um, You have, you know, Squaresoft, who are, of course, a titan of their genre and probably the the most preeminent, you know, JRPG developer, especially, you know, in the 90s, of course, there were so many different companies that were working on games along the Final Fantasy realm. And, you know, we're, we're not experts in that field. I won't pretend to be. But, like... In terms of like developers and publishers that were like at their absolute zenith in like the late 90s, the PS1 days, Squaresoft is one of them. You know, the the, the PlayStation 1 basically sold off the promise of being the next destination for the Final Fantasy franchise. So they are just absolutely at the top of their game. Uh, you know, I guess the closest thing that we could liken them to for people who maybe like us have less experience with that genre, but of course know about arcade games and racing is they were kind of like the Namco of their craft. Like Namco was like, or like Sega, you know, th- these were companies that were really like hitting, just going from strength to strength and, and Squaresoft was one of them. So you take that sort of ambition and you combine it with this racing game and, you know, Racing Lagoon, uh, it only came out in Japan, as I'm sure anyone who's listening to this who has any background about the game knows it's some weird, quirky game from Japan that never made it quite here, that has a ridiculous story. 
and and that's kind of all just like table stakes everybody knows that um came out in 1999 but you know when you think about contextually speaking this game pretty much only lagged behind gran turismo by like a year if you if you take that by like the western release of gran turismo so you know gt redefines the genre and then already within the space of a couple of months and you know r4 was kind of around this time too you're getting these games that are that are just kind of laser focus on the racing genre but doing so many different interesting things with it narratively speaking and uh it is exactly the kind of stuff that we love on this show to put it <laughs> as succinctly as possible yeah absolutely i mean we what we say we like in a racing game a lot of the time is when there is a semblance of focus there and uh an ability to capture even the most intricate of details for what experience it's trying to offer and that is like what makes Racing Lagoon so much fun because the elements it focuses on are definitely bits that you may have seen dabbled in throughout the genre later on for example through the various street racing games that would follow and the attempt at capturing that type of atmosphere and then like we're seeing on the RPG side of things we see the idea of upgrading cars through Gran Turismo and the like but neither of these type of the plethora of street racing games or, or the way Gran Turismo approaches it can fall in line with what Racing Lagoon tries to do which is actually encourage that type of JRPG like thinking where it's not so much about the on-track action. Well, it is about the on-track action, but it's not just the main focus here. That main focus is really on how you actually kind of build and work with your cars, the, the type of battles that you kind of get involved in. We've got random encounters here as well in terms of the overworld and such. It it really does kind of tick those boxes that we look for and time extend. And it's, it's crazy to me because Often when somebody tells you to go back and play a PlayStation 1 game or, or something from that era, you expect to find at least a bit of a clunky experience in many ways. But like I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a JRPG fan myself, Adam, so it's one of these things where going back and playing these older types of experiences in this type of genre has never really bothered me that much. And Racing Lagoon just ticked all the right boxes for me across those two genres. Like I did find myself really enjoying what this game had to offer because it took those kind of staples of JRPG gameplay, but put it in a racing game in a way that didn't feel shoehorned in or done just for the sake of it. It does feel as if there was a lot of love and craft here, and that stretches not just into the environments here and the, the scenarios that you race in, but like we're saying, the gameplay side of things as well. It all, all ties together nicely in a, in a package that we, we can't help but love. I'm um, sorry, I didn't mean to speak for you when I said that, you know, we are both not JRPG. Right? <laughs> That's all good, mate. It's all good. You, you might not think I'd be a JRPG fan, to be honest. So I totally get that. The only one I've ever really sunk time into. Well, that's not that's not true. Two games. Uh, one being Final Fantasy XIII and the other one being Earthbound. Um, Earthbound, you know, being the, the JRPG that tries to not be a JRPG. And then some, in some <laughs> weird backwards way, ends up becoming the most JRPG of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of these weird things where I've never actually been a huge fan of like Final Fantasy and such the the bigger ones that Dragon Quest and the like. But there are there are specific series that kind of tick the boxes for me. Not too dissimilar to the, the way we talk about racing games and the kind of concepts within racing Lagoon definitely tie into those types of games. And I think that's why right away I was kind of grabbed by this because as I'm sure we'll go into. The way that this game approaches the idea of 
becoming a, a racing legend, so to speak, is pretty cool the way that you build your cars up, the way that you're able to kind of take on people in the overworld. There, there are just a lot of elements here that we don't really see that much or at all elsewhere. It is such a clever game mechanically, and I think that's why I keep coming back to is um, the, the, the closest thing I could compare Racing Lagoon to is we, we did an episode on Tokyo Extreme Racer a while back, and it's basically like if you took TXR and TXR likes to do this thing where it hints at the story, but you would really only ever know kind of the cascade and the chronology of events if you like beat a rival in the game and then go back to your garage and then click like go through like five menus, click on their name and read about them. Like that's the only way that you would ever know that there's a story that kind of links the factions in TXR together. Picture that, but then, you know, basically brought front and center from the background to the foreground in the way that you can't ignore it you know it's there it is it is actively a part of the game it's more of a part of a game really than than the driving as you kind of alluded to and that's that's basically what you have in racing lagoon and the thing is like you know a lot of people are going to be playing this uh for the first time now because uh it's kind of interesting that we've we've been talking about this for you know 10 minutes and we haven't yet uh talked about the fact that you know this game has had a fantastic uh fan translation um done by a group of people uh with an individual by the name of hilltop kind of overseeing all of it and that patch has been uh published uh, online, you know, you can get it. Um, there are a number of people in this community who are who are going through it for the first time. You know, I didn't know Racing Lagoon even existed, honestly, until like 2015, um, which is kind of crazy in and of itself to me because, like, growing up, you know, like, I'm thinking I know everything about every racing game and I've played every single one, <laughs> but like, or at least I have an awareness that it exists. But like, Racing Lagoon completely dodged me, you know, being being a Japanese uh, only release. Yep. And now for a game like this to be um, able, you know, that anyone can enjoy it uh, and, and for it to have been translated uh, into English with the love and care that that, that whole team has done uh, is really fantastic. And, you know, if you, if you want to know more about that, um, there's a great uh, article on PC Gamer that was written by Wes Fenlon where he talks to some people, including Hilltop from, from, the, from the effort. Uh, that kind of shine some light on how they they got through this entire uh, translation patch effort in like six months, you know, which is incredible. So all of that is to say that the time is right to talk about this game and, and, and we haven't, you know, for a while uh, because we didn't have that piece we needed to, to, you know, understand the story and be able to actually like play through the game. You know, there's like an arcade battle type mode, but that is, you know, 10% of, of what Racing Lagoon is at the end of the day because that just relegates the game to these very short races. Um, and, you know, as, as we'll talk about, you know, this kind of does the R4 thing in as much as, like, it's not about the racing. Uh, and that's, that's, I think, pretty clear from the moment you start playing the game and, and you kind of realize, that, like, all the races are kind of short. Uh, the introduction is, you know, it's probably like 15, it feels like it's 10 or 15 minutes before you actually do anything in the game, uh, which is fine. Cause you know, it's a JRPG and that's, that's the kind of experience it is. But with all that said, 
I guess it'd be good to probably set up contextually what the game is about, uh, and then we can maybe get into some of the development history. So, as far as the story is concerned, it's it starts out in a pretty and we and we won't go fully into it because we don't want to reveal yeah. everything because people are playing it for the first time. But it starts out in a in a pretty conventional way in that you know you're kind of a, a newcomer to uh, this this kind of club, um, the Bay Lagoon Racers. And uh, no one quite knows who you are. And you very quickly get the sense that, like, you don't even know who you are. Uh, <laughs> your name is Sho Akasaki. And it's just the the, the back and forth uh, rivalry at first between them and the night, the uh, Honmuku Night Racers, I believe is the name of that team. Yeah. And very slowly, they kind of start to peel back the layers. And there's a lot of philosophical talk about legends and and the character doesn't really remember who he is, and there's like a seedy past, and we won't get into all of that, but it just, it sets itself up in the way where you're going to have very, very uh, ridiculous, like JRPG <laughs> fare of just like the directions that the story goes in. You you can't, if, if you're going off the, the mindset of this is a racing game you know it, it's going to absolutely blow you away if you thought like our racing evolution story was like weird um this one this one goes in a completely different direction and it almost kind of feels like resident evilly at a certain point <laughs> yeah there's definitely a a very odd tone to the full game that you do end up kind of appreciating and, and really liking because i think um it's referred to as into as lagoon go I think it is basically like the, the accent that the English uh, or the translated English is written in for example is this kind of poetic speech pattern that's used throughout to kind of capture what these philosophical elements are and it's one of these things where if, if you don't know any of that like me when you first brought up this game and you just see some of these sentences flashing up on the screen and, and the way like some of the kind of typefaced elements come up on come up on the display and everything it's it's, it's, it's very much an experience that has to be seen to be believed because some of the dialogue here is absolutely hilarious and I know there was a bit of creative freedom used as well by the, the fan translation team but from what I've seen and, and what they've kind of said in various interviews it's still definitely in line with what the kind of original Japanese was as well. Yeah, the thing is, if you're playing this for the first time and you know, you're an English speaker and you don't... Uh, you know you're going through the translation i think it's important to point out that like you might be uh 
you know, you might be like reading some of this text, reading this dialogue and thinking like, wow, the, the people who are in charge of the translation really just like they, they just like injected so much personality <laughs> into it. They said all these weird things. They added all the, like, and you might be like skeptical, like, is this really what the game is about? No, like that weirdness, that strangeness, that overly philosophical nature of like the dialogue and the things that are that just pop up on the screen. As you're like watching a replay, you'll just see like this internal monologue that like show is having with himself. Like I can hear the hush of the wind, the hum of the engine, <laughs> like all of these like random things will just show up. That's all in the game. Like, <laughs> like, and like these weird like turns of phrase and like these just weird you know expressions it's as i understand it from the people who who worked on the translation like they're weird to japanese speakers too so like <laughs> it, it's just in general like it's one of those things that like if you feel like you're missing out on something because you're not able to understand the japanese uh pretense of everything like just know that like even if you are fluent in the language and understand the culture it's still weird and i, I think there's something delightful to that uh oh, yeah, that kind absolutely. of adds to the games like mystery and legend yeah exactly that's it it definitely does leave an impression right from the off and I think that's important because especially now where we're so indoctrinated to the idea of, of street racing and, and what that culture is supposed to be, it's so interesting just seeing what would have been pretty much a completely fresh take in, in the video game side of things with street racing that goes down a totally different path to to how it would be interpreted in the West through games like Need for Speed and stuff. It, it's And even Tokyo Extreme Racer, by contrast, like that, that uses the idea of almost like kind of god or boss or idol cars to kind of embellish that atmosphere and add the racing teams and such but racing lagoon goes down the different angle of just like totally embracing the the, the idea of craziness here and the fact that it is very much a, a role-playing game it really embraces that and what it means is you get like you're saying these kind of tons of phrase and everything that appear on the screen it's all very racing lagoon and it feels weird saying that for a game i didn't even know existed until a few years ago but i just couldn't imagine any other title or any other series trying to be as bold as this game is because it was coming into this type of atmosphere completely fresh you'd imagine they they obviously tried their best to kind of capture what they understood about the japanese street racing culture as well of course all that effort probably went into it i imagine it's just from somebody who's a total outsider to this game before playing it it just leaves an impact instantly and it's just part of the fun and reason you should play this game it's not even about the actual experience of playing it as a game it's experiencing the kind of motifs that are here and the general atmosphere which for me you just won't find anywhere else yeah this is really going to surprise you if if you feel like you're just kind of tired of everything and then you want to just see a racing game just come out of nowhere and hit you with these like um this very strange atmosphere that's also very cool um you know amazing soundtrack uh which i feel like the first thing you hear about racing lagoon these days even is just like how fantastic the soundtrack is and like yeah. since i uh started playing the game i've started hearing more of the soundtrack and like i've sprinkled a couple songs in time extend episodes in the past but like <laughs> now i'm really listening to it and you know it's phenomenal this game is it's really appropriate that the fan translation came out now because I also feel like this aesthetic, this idea is so fashionable again. 
you know, maybe <laughs> in the late 90s, uh, that wasn't really a beat that, like, we were picking up on in the West. And then, like, street racing culture kind of broke through in the 2000s, but it was more of, like, a Fast and Furious, like, street racing syndicate, like, you're in Los Angeles. Like, not like this. Um, but now, like, you know, JDM cars from the 90s are, like, the coolest thing in the world again, and um, JRPGs and Final Fantasy is still relevant, and especially with games like, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake coming out, like, Square is still kind of put their stamp on everything. And so it's really great that this game is finally getting the respect that it deserves because, you know, when it came out, it was actually, uh, it didn't sell very well and it wasn't even critically very popular. Um, Famitsu uh, scored it a 21 out of 40. Uh, one of the Famitsus apparently, because I didn't even realize there were multiple Famitsu publications, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there was like, they have their 40 out of 40 scale uh, as, as a lot of people know. And uh, one time they scored a 21. Another time they were a little bit more favorable and they gave it a 26. Uh, you know, these are, are pretty critical, um, uh, you know, perceptions of a game that, that really tried to do something new and fresh. And maybe at the time it was just kind of seen as like, well, if I want to play an RPG, I'll play Final Fantasy VII. And if I want to play a good racing game, I'll play Gran Turismo. And I don't really need these two things to ever cross paths. But these days, like... I think there's a real desire to get back to that. I think there's a desire to see chances taken again. Because you have to figure in the late 90s, like a game like Gran Turismo was so new that yeah. just that concept alone of a game that took uh, modifying, upgrading cars that seriously and with that kind of realism and that focus, that was just a world, that world in and of itself was something that people wanted to live in. Uh, less so the kind of hyper visual hyper artistic uh sort of um takes on on the racing game formula that we saw from namco and obviously squaresoft uh i i think it's really not a coincidence at the end of the day that like racing lagoon and r4 and wipeout 3 a lot of really sort of avant-garde racing games sort of came out at the exact same time on the same system you know give or take within a couple of months of each other I came across a quote from uh, from Hilltop saying that like, you know, Square is so famously like not aware that this game, you know, has has not like brought this game up in so many years that like <laughs> he's not even worried that like the translation would ever get taken down or legal action would be taken because Square is just so <laughs> has like washed their hands of it completely, um, you know. But maybe my hope is that something like this coming up again will sort of prove that. Uh, uh, being being sort of the talk of the town and everything will sort of prove that there's a market for these things. That's that's really deep down the sort of desperate hope that I have. Yeah, I think that that kind of sums up nicely why I think there there has been a clamor to to support this translation as well and try and amplify its reach because I think just now everybody feels that gaming is maybe playing it too safe in many regards. That we understand what is popular and and what sells and what doesn't and that applies to the racing genre specifically as well we we see a lot of the kind of 
arcade racing games, for example, that we have nowadays still fit into very distinct specific criteria. You don't really see as much risks as would have been taken before and maybe that is a parallel to when this came out and it's very easy to make a statement like, oh, if I wanted a racing game, I'd play Gran Turismo and if I wanted an RPG, I'd play Final Fantasy. But funnily enough, I think that that type of thinking is what kind of stagnates any genre. So it's a shame that Racing Lagoon did so bad and it's it's one of these situations as well where I think like Famitsu are kind of popular for giving, or famous, sorry, or infamous you could say, for giving kind of pretty high scores to, to Japanese developed games. So the fact that it scored so low as well is a bit of a surprise to me, um, given that, that there's something that's really cool here. And you know what, like maybe you could say that it falls into the JRPG tropes too much, but I'm saying that from a 2021 mindset at the end of the day. Like, I really doubt in the kind of the late 90s when this launched, everybody was already bored of that concept. Far from it. It's pretty no, much no. kind of Square Soft Mania, wasn't it? So um, it is interesting to see why it would score so low, and maybe it's just that idea where it, making a compelling racing based story is obviously difficult. There's a handful that do it well, if that. Um, across any medium and to be honest I, I would say that from my perspective Racing Lagoon story is strong because it embraces the kind of cookie culture that it creates and it does so stylishly like obviously we've talked about the design elements of the game a lot but even just if kind of touching upon how you actually <laughs> upgrade the cars and stuff that the way that the game yes. handles that and I'm not sure if that's something we want to kind of touch on now Adam or get to later but um, yeah, I mean that that's something that just it shines so brightly amongst other games that just don't have anything like this type of system. Yeah, so I mean we may as well get into it now because I feel like this game is so big that where this discussion is just like trailing off in like forty different ways, which I feel <laughs> like you know on one hand is sort of disorganized, but on the other, like anyone who um, is playing this for a first time as as we are. It's such a it's such a grandiose concept this game, and it's really it's really hard to just like succinctly describe. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it'd be good to sort of focus on more specifics. Uh, and and Brendan, one of the first things actually I said to you because because I started playing this game I think a day or two before you did, yeah. and I was like, I think I really think you need to check it out. We need to talk about it. And I think the the, the thing I called out was the whole get reward system which I yeah. know will sound like gibberish to, to anyone who hasn't played the game yet, but that's what I felt an, immediately off the line. I was like, this this is just a brilliant game design that I have not seen from anything before. So we're used to, in like these sort of street racing games, maybe this concept of like pink slips, where you beat someone, you get their car. Uh, there's not a lot of strategy in that. It, it, it sort of is a good way to, to punctuate uh, important moments of the story but the way that Racing Lagoon does it, it, it's a bit different any rival that you beat and this is true of like random encounters on the street or like big pivotal story uh, story races, anyone you beat, you get to uh, take a part from their car and likewise, if someone beats you they can take a part from your car and what's interesting about it, and this might if, if you tried to think of this system in a conventional racing game, you'd be like, oh, it would never work. Because, like, let's say you're in a Supra and I'm in a Skyline and I beat you and I take, like, a Supra, 
uh, I don't know, like a Supra body kit. Like how, what would I do with that with my Skyline? But <laughs> the way that Square went about it and the way the Racing Lagoon goes about it is like, it, it just kind of fudges things enough so that they work really well from a game design standpoint, even if they don't make sense. So for example, like if you beat somebody, if that same exact encounter happens, like let's say you were in the Supra and I beat you, I could take your exhaust, which will work. Any of the parts will work on my car. I could take your exhaust, which will work on my car. I could take your suspension. I could take your tires. And there's a bunch of different types of parts, and they all have performance uh, costs and benefits. Uh, I could take your body kit, and it might be called like a GT body kit, and I could apply that to my Skyline, where it will be a completely different body kit made for the Skyline. So you have these like upgrades that you can universally apply to anything will kind of do different things for different vehicles. But what it gets really crazy with is it's almost like a automotive ship of Theseus thing because like if you started with with a Skyline, you know, and for whatever reason you were like, I want to put an AA6 Corolla body on it and I <laughs> want the drivetrain from like a Subaru WRX and I want to put like, you know, a... Uh, uh, 3s gte engine in it. like you could do that you could make a frankenstein vehicle that cobbles together parts from all different other kinds of vehicles and make it your own and that is just such an awesome awesome idea that is completely impossible if you were ever going to try and make sense of it in terms of licensing <laughs> uh, which is why this game has Cars that look real, but they are not officially licensed. They have fake dummy names uh, in the same tradition that, like, say, TXR does. Uh, so you can never do it with licensing. It would be an absolute nightmare. No one would allow it. But, you know, at, at the time this game come out, came out, it was something that uh, Square could get away with. And it uses it to brilliant effect. And it's just so cool to be able to make a car that is uniquely yours. It's so cool to take something like a Civic and make it mid-engined, which then also just like yeah. completely redoes the bodywork. So now, now it's like cab forward and it has like all of these vents like where the back was and it looks like a coupe. Like it's really hard to explain. There are great videos online, one done by um, RX uh, Chris, who's, you know, our... Uh, beloved moderator, uh, one of our beloved moderators on, on the Time Extend Discord, and he did this, he did this video years back where he's just like going through the ridiculous like body kits in the game. Uh, that to me is like one of those the most brilliant things I've seen from a racing game in in quite a long time. And it's another case where we we add a, a tick beside why games should consider using unlicensed cars if they want to try some crazy concepts in their racing games yeah. because. Yeah, some some of the kind of combinations you can make are absolutely crazy. And the thing I like about the game is as well is that just taking a part and applying it to your car does not necessarily make the car better as well. Mm -hmm. Like if you do make some changes, they might have undesirable effects and they, they might really hinder your driving style. And the cool thing is there is a bit of experimentation in there. You always have to kind of be crucial about what parts you pick and. Like that can be, for example, if you beat a car that has a particularly good part on a, a certain uh, part, one of the certain parts you can take is particularly good from a performance perspective, but you know there's a slight upgrade uh, that you require for another part of the car, and it has that as well. That idea that you have to almost kind of gamble that you won't get that incredibly powerful part later down the line that you might need then, and you have to settle for a smaller upgrade for now, 
those type of things actually make the game a lot more fun as well because picking and choosing parts is um, a pretty a pretty crucial part of the game and sometimes you just want to make your car look ridiculous with these body kits as well so it's pretty funny when you kind of go on a spree of just taking as much aero parts and body kit parts as you can just to basically make your car look crazy yeah. and for me it's one of these things where the game has such freedom and yet you never feel as if you're kind of breaking the game in a way that that makes it unchallenging or or you never feel like it becomes a grind obviously this game is kind of basically it relies a lot on random encounters in the overworld just for kind of context for everybody and it's one of these things that's very divisive nowadays i think especially in 2021 people aren't a big fan of the random encounters thing but it was definitely a, a huge deal in the 90s and a lot of games relied on that here it's great because you're just kind of be cruising about the overworld and you'll get interrupted uh, to do a race and much like I suppose something like uh, kind of a monster catching game or something or like Pokemon or the likes when when you get to go into that race you're kind of already eyeing up what you're actually racing like oh, what have we got here you're kind of able to identify where its strengths are that type of thing so that yeah. You, you you have that anticipation of what's interrupted your gameplay session as opposed to just being like oh fuck's sake gotta beat somebody again it, it's good because it keeps it fresh in a way that you never know what type of parts are going to appear and there are definitely ones in here that are better than others so it's I think that idea that you're basically breaking the car up to what is it three or four main components isn't it in terms yeah of so there's um there's like chassis uh, yep. there's body and there's engine, I think. And yeah, that makes it I mean, even like, for example, like one of the body components is paint. So yeah. like you can actually take the paint from another car. Like it, it makes no sense, but I think that's why it works so well is because they were like, let's not get so bogged down in like, you know, the logistics of this. Let's, I mean, it, it is very logically like it's, it's very well designed, but like, let's, let's not get bogged down in how realistic any of this is. And let's just treat it like, like just gamify the hell out of it. Um, and the fact that like every part has a currency cost to it. Uh, basically if you beat someone, you, you can pretty much take any part on their car. However, um, there's certain like every car has its own cost and there are two currencies in the game one of wor- one of which is called RP so you get RP by like beating people in battles and things like that and winning races but you will then spend that RP to get someone's part off of their car um, and that kind of does sort of make you uh, as you were saying Brendan strategize like okay you know should i take this guy's engine because it would Mm, basically be all of the money i have in my pocket right now or you know should i try and build up small in other ways and i think a lot of people like to say like oh gran turismo was you know the first game or was was great and forza for the same reason that you could like take you know a civic and then like make it go up against or make it beat like a dodge viper but to be honest you never really could do that i mean you could make a car way better than you started with but you would always hit a certain point where it was like this civic is never going to beat like a r33 or something and i have to move on um that's not an (laughs) that is definitely not an issue in racing lagoon you know you can you can put anything in anything and uh you can make any car four-wheel drive you can make any car uh i think there's even like a rear engine option because of all of of like the 40 unlicensed cars in this game one of them is actually a 911 uh which by the way has a great name 
it is just called the Germany RS. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's just it, it, it's delightful, and it is you know maybe it's hard to say that anything I could love anything more about this game than its soundtrack because the soundtrack is that good. But if I had to focus on the actual aspect of like the gameplay itself, the the whole get reward system is just just you know uh, the the type of thing that you just never see and uh, i would love i would love for it to be uh reapproached in this in this genre again i just love the disrespect of it as well like it's one thing winning somebody's <laughs> car in a pink slip but literally just saying i'm taking your gold paint and there's nothing you can do about it i love like the idea of that dystopian like world where you lose an event and somebody can just take any part of your car. Like, imagine yep. you had, like, fucking brilliant alloys or something and you're just like, I'm taking those BBSs, mate, and I'm out of here. <laughs> you just, like, left the guy in the side of the road with his car, his tyres, but you, you've taken the rims off of him. It's, it's something I'd love to see <laughs> actually animated the idea of how that even works. But, like you say, that's that's how the game works because it acknowledges that there's no realistic logical way to depict how this system's even possible but because it improves the gameplay so much and adds so much I'm so glad it's here and you know what I, I wish more games would just have that type of idea but it's like who cares how feasible it is this is how we're implementing it and in our world you can turn any car into any type of drivetrain you want you can <laughs> steal individual parts from somebody's car and not have to worry about it it's yeah. the, that that's Lagoon Bay that that's it. I mean, and I think the game alludes to it as much in the kind of dialogue when it's showing you the city for the first time. It talks about the fact that how mysterious the place is and it has its own rules. You know what? It's some Twilight Zone shit and I fucking love it. Yeah, the first screen I think is the city that forgot what sleep is, Neo Seaside City Bay Lagoon. <laughs> and that's not translated. Like, that's baked into the FMV right when you start the game. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole UI, too, you know, I feel like people really focus on the... Uh, the music, the audio presentation of the game, but uh, if you think that you know Evangelion is a work of art, you're gonna love <laughs> the menus in Racing Lagoon. It's just purple and orange all the time. Huge aerial text. There's all this frivolous shit on the side of the screen, like vertically, and it says like, "Welcome to HSD RPG Car Battle in Yokohama 1999." <laughs> like just random crap. It's a lot like the gibberish that was on like uh, some of the event cards in like Gran Turismo Three that you know you then you then enhance uh, over the years with like better quality and, mm -hmm. and you read and it just makes no sense. Uh, it, it's great stuff like that and it all looks amazing together with the soundtrack. It just fits so well and it's it's just it's beautiful. Everything about this game is just is just really. Even even if it's very ham-fisted, and even if like this game has kind of a, uh, as I understand it, like sort of a reputation in Japan for being ridiculous, it it's just gorgeous. Like when you see like the overworld for the first time, and this very very low poly but still you know three three D modeled uh, Yokohama or, or you know Bay Lagoon from the sky, like everything's really tiny it's kind of like a diorama like a tilt shift kind of yeah, like, yeah. Like mini miniatures of everything and it's just really it's it's cute but it's also beautiful and um you know the, there you'll see these little cars driving around they're made of like five pixels and it, <laughs> it, it all works out way better than it has any right to um 
And, you know, a modern open world racing game would say, you know, fuck this kind of 3D from above miniature uh, low poly overworld. We'll just actually have you drive in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, like, objectively speaking, that is a more immersive way to experience a game like this. But there's just something sort of... there. There's something wrong, but also, like... <laughs> just beautiful about viewing the city from this way and like controlling how you move through it uh from this this overhead view i think is like you know it's not something anyone would do today except for maybe an indie but it yeah. works very very well for racing lagoon i think the the interesting part is that the overworld is serving its purpose as a hub for where the game takes place in a way of driving random encounters and such and the way that its designs encourages that it, to kind of draw parallels to modern open world games, I suppose the difference is Racing Lagoon is absolutely fine to admit that it's open world, well sorry, it's um, hub world exists to justify the gameplay mechanics within, mechanics within, and that's it. Whereas I think nowadays with open worlds, that is kind of sacrilege to say that every open world has to be immersive and, and provide infinite game opportunities and stuff, gameplay opportunities and the likes, whereas... Let's be honest, for some open world racing games we've played and in other genres, there are definitely cases where you've probably said, this probably didn't have to be an open world, or this being an open world has kind of diluted the experience. And I think that's the cool thing about Racing Lagoon, where this kind of hub world design means that you still get to see Lagoon Bay and its glory from this kind of diorama-like viewing experience. But it doesn't hinder the core gameplay mechanics and keep things moving along very briskly because I think we were kind of saying just before recording, Adam, like this isn't a long game by any means, but yeah. the impression that it leaves would have just been bogged down, ironically, I suppose, with a kind of traditional open world racing game environment. And I think that the cool thing about Racing Lagoon is it's. I've been kind of thinking recently about how, how much do we actually need like remasters and and recreations of games or, or remakes even when if you take what Racing Lagoon has now and you try to kind of apply modern principles on top of it it would probably end up diluting the experience instead of making it better and I think that's what's really cool about this game you can come into it in 2021 and have a fantastic experience where you you don't feel as if there's any kind of predetermined gripes about it being an old game that annoy you because it just embellishes everything it tries to offer and you know what, I think that's incredibly impressive, even if it wasn't appreciated at the time. The fact that you can come into a game that's this old, and this type of gaming uh, period where everything is more different than ever, and still have a fantastic time, I think that's a credit to the team, and then of course the, the English translation team as well, who've managed to capture the vibe of that perfectly. Yeah, and, and with all of that said, you know, I think it's, I think we should touch on like how the races in this game actually play out, because, you know, it, 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 as was customary at the time, you know, th this isn't a truly, you know, open world experience as you would think about it. It's not like you can seamlessly go from like driving in the open world, in the overworld to like going into a race. Um, you know, basically you, you traverse this world and you'll have a random encounter or you'll have a story race. And at that moment, there are essentially... You know, I, I haven't worked out how many tracks there are in the game, but let's say there are like 10 or 11 different, like very short tracks. Like these, 
some of them are a little bit longer and they're more circuit based, but there are also a lot of like really, really short ones that are like honestly only like three or four corners. Stuff that, to be honest, isn't that different from like, remember those like rival races and shocks where you yeah, have like, yeah, you know, a third of a track that you have to get through uh, before the other guy does. Um, you'll have these tracks that are kind of anchored to certain parts of the world. So there's one for, you know, Chinatown and there's one for over by the graveyard and you know, it, they're, they're anchored in different parts of this overworld and they're really small. And when you, uh, most of them are, when you go to do a race there, you know, you'll have, it might be point to point. It might be two or three laps. Um, and it's sometimes it's like one v one. You just got to beat the other guy. Sometimes it's your your crew going up against their crew. Uh, and then once the race is over, you have the get reward system. You go through all of that, and you're back into the overworld. Uh, as far as the racing itself is concerned, well, you know what the track design is probably good to talk about because that I would say is probably the game's biggest weakness. Um, it's very, th this game kind of suffers from, I guess, like TXR syndrome in as much as like, especially when you're playing it on like an emulator, or you're playing it like at like on a good display now. Uh, you maybe wouldn't have noticed as much back in the day on like a CRT, but like the tracks are very simple. You know that from the map, but also like there's not a whole lot modeled. You'll have like the street and you'll have like some buildings and then you'll have a very high wall that if you ever saw the other side of the wall, there's absolutely nothing there. Um, the tracks are very basic and you know that's fine for like a playstation game uh the game still looks glorious because it does that kind of similar to txr it does that thing where clearly uh square spent the the bulk of the polygon budget on just these beautiful low poly car models the, the car models in this great game look excellent uh and in that sense it, it does kind of feel uh you know it's a it's a very pretty game not as technically as impressive as say R4 because like I think R4 you know maybe and definitely Gran Turismo maybe push the system more with these uh sort of especially in R4's case more much more like lush environments and they do a better job of like sort of hiding where the world sort of ends uh but that, that's the thing about Racing Lagoon is like and I think that's why we keep going back to saying like it's not really about the actual like gameplay itself because like if you were to strip away everything that we've talked about and just like boil it down to, you know, racing on these streets, on these like small snippets of, of road, you're going to get an experience that isn't incredibly engaging. Uh, the handling, I think, is actually pretty solid. I actually don't really mind the handling at all. The collision detection is very punishing. But the tracks themselves uh, don't leave a whole lot uh, to, to really sink your teeth into in terms of being fun to navigate and the AI, you know, it's classic, you know, old racing game AI. Somebody's going to shoot way in front of you and you'll spend most of the race trying to catch them. And then once you do, it's, it's basically over. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the, that's the kind of crux of the game in a way where you're not going to get any incredibly great racing experiences here because of those kind of tropes that it plays into and truth be told on the track there were times when I felt as if I had a good grasp on the car and understand how things were going but then there, there seems to be that kind of quirk to the handling as well where sometimes acceleration maybe seemed a bit too a bit depending on the parts you're using of course but with the build I was using I often felt like I had full control of the car and then around corners especially it almost felt as if the car was on like a kind of a railroad track but it was 
kind of coming off slightly as well so yeah. I was sort of losing control of the car through the corners but I still had almost too much control which was leading to crashes and stuff but <laughs> that's, the, that's the type of thing where it, it comes down to the person playing it at the end of the day maybe I was just not getting a grasp for the handling but I did feel as if it was a case of the races were almost a, a, a means of getting to the next part of the game or improving my car there were very few times where on the track I was thinking, wow, this is a fantastic racing experience. But for the full package that Racing Lagoon's trying to offer, I do think it's a case where it's actually surprising how much fun it is to drive on the track because um, we've seen games before that maybe try and do something a bit different off the track and then the on the track product suffers as a result. But here, like it is perfectly playable and, and fun when you've got to do these tracks, if they are maybe a bit too... Um, a bit too basic in, in designs to be honest it, it's one of these uh, types of game where a lot of the tracks just feel like kind of slight variations on each other where the general structure of the track is the same but maybe instead of a kind of curved a kind of a curved corner it's more of a right hander that type of thing it, it feels like a lot of the tracks are slightly different ovals or so that's what I was feeling anyway they, they feel kind of like they're um they're sort of like track editor tracks. Like if, yeah, if a game yeah. had a feature like that, which it, it obviously doesn't, but if it did, they're the kinds of things that you could design yourself and then the game would automatically populate with like random, you know, trackside objects and stuff next to it. Um, in like a V Rally 3 kind of way where like the game only ever models the ribbon of road you're on and then all of these items to the side are sort of ancillary. There's like one or two tracks. I, I know there's one where like, it's it's like a very it's like maybe one of the only tracks like this in the game but it, it's very like snake like and how there's like kind of switchbacks and you're going through a town the road gets very narrow there's a lot of elevation change and that's maybe like the only track in the game where i felt like this this is bringing something different to the table everything else is just kind of 90 degree corners and stuff and you know, again, I won't begrudge them too much because they weren't trying to make a straight racing game with this game. And, and if, if I'm a champion of anything uh, when it comes to this stuff, it's like, you know, I, I think racing games can be good even if they get the racing wrong. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think I think Racing Lagoon is kind of emblematic of that. You know, it, it's funny because I, I do get the sense that a lot of effort went into the, the physics. Uh, the physics don't feel you know, perfect, but I think if you were to actually go back and compare this to, to the contemporaries, you know, uh, y you have to remember, like, Gran Turismo and R4 were, like, and, like, Sega Rally were exceptions to the rule. A lot of the racing games just handled in weird and nonsensical ways, <laughs> like Need for yeah. Speed 2, for example, or, like, there, there was a lot of stuff out there that just did not make sense, and I can still wrap my head around the handling in this game, uh, play it just fine with the D-pad. The closest thing I could compare it to is it kind of feels like one of the grip cars in R4, where, like, you go... It's smooth, but at the same time, like, sometimes a car will be over-responsive and at low speeds it will be under-responsive, and that will yeah. lead you into just, as you were saying, Brendan, like, just kind of <laughs> smacking into the walls when you thought you gave just the exact amount of pressure, the exact amount of steering input. And suddenly your car's like careening and you're like, I, I did not see that coming. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, for some reason, recently returning to MRC again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and funnily enough, there were times when, depending on what type of car I was using in terms of the chassis and stuff, 
could definitely feel that same way in that game where when you come to those kind of switchback corners and stuff you're almost kind of it's like a Jesus take the wheel moment <laughs> where you're hoping yeah. that you've kind of guided the car enough to get through the corners but you feel as if if you're kind of overdoing it with the turning angle and stuff it can be difficult and I'm a massive advocate for D-pad racing games as you know Adam so I was very happy to see that it was a kind of D-pad developed racing game because obviously you can't use the, the analogue stick at all can you? Um I don't I think you can. Remember. You know, I yeah. was trying to play the game with uh, with uh, DualShock, you know, turned on the emulator, and uh, uh, I couldn't. So that's interesting because it's from 99. Yeah. Maybe it was the kind of case, and, and I might I, – I am completely spitballing here. I'm sure someone who's an expert on this game is listening and, and will be able to speak to it. But maybe it supported, like, the dual analog controller that, like, mm. was a thing yeah. for, like, two seconds, and then they replaced with the DualShock. I, I don't really know, but – Analog control, I think, would would kind of help this game, but you know, as as a kid, I D pad like I was able to make perfect sense of the D pad, and now it's actually kind of hard for me to go back to games that are just D pad based. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, it's, that's it's just a, depending on what you're used to. I think it's one of these games as well where the D pad controls are more like the longer you hold the direction, it feels like you're moving the wheel. As daft as that sounds, as opposed to where some racing games where it's D-pad controlled, it's like you get the same amount of turn in regardless of how yes. long you hold it. It's definitely yeah. more in that lane, so that probably explains yeah, yeah. why a lot of the time going around those longer corners, it can feel as if you're just kind of you're edging tightening. on caution. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of tightening the radius. A game that really kills me with that is Manix TT on the, uh, yeah. on the Saturn yeah. is like... A lot of the bikes, I, you, I actually have to pick a bike that like sucks in the handling department in that game <laughs> because like otherwise it just turns too much and it, the initial turn in's fine and then like if you keep it pressed down for just like a fraction of a second too long, all of a sudden you're going perpendicular to like the direction you were previously moving in. Um, yeah. Yeah, it can, it can be tough, but you know, it's fine for what Racing Lagoon is and it's definitely sufficient and uh yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I feel like we've spoken to most of the things that, that we, we wanted to call out about this game, and I just can't say enough, like, if you're pining for new experiences, you know, this is a case of an old one that was actually really, to say it's ahead of its time is almost wrong, because it's not like this foreshadowed anything, but just like, I, I wish it was ahead of its time, you know, I wish that, I wish that the the experiments that were taken in this game's development actually produce something down the line that you know was just th think of the world it's I, I have this thought with r4 all the time like think of the world that could have been created on like the ps2 you know wow, with a game yeah. like this think of think of the the richer uh, a version of racing lagoon with a richer racing element you know that would have been possible on better hardware uh a longer development cycle as you know the final fantasy games enjoyed like think of 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 a game like this that got the proper attention that a sequel would have if this one performed well and it's just it's just kind of heartbreaking in a way
it's a tale as old as time at this point when it comes to the racing genre. <laughs> Many time we, we talk about these type of racing games we very rarely see and this led to a, a boom of industry where everybody was making these types of games. <laughs> Sadly, we don't often get that and what's interesting about Racing Lagoon I suppose is and I don't know all the intricacies about how licensing has changed for, for racing games since Racing Lagoon came out and where we are now. But there's like pretty much nothing that would stop this game ever getting a, a re-release. Is there aside from Square actually acknowledging its existence and doing it? Like I think it's just a case of they've obviously just decided to to leave it to the, the kind of history books and never look back. But that's a bit of a shame in itself because it's a game that's still absolutely playable in its current state, and as evidenced by the, the fantastic work uh, done by Hilltop Works and his team. It's, what you're looking at here is an experience that requires no buy-in from anybody who wants to play it in terms of cost. It doesn't even require that much effort to get a hold of and play. So uh, if we often say at the end of these podcasts when we talk about games like MRC and the likes that, oh yeah, source it and give it a go. But absolutely for this one, not only just to, to experience a racing game that was just previously inaccessible pretty much unless you knew uh, Japanese, but just to also show good respect and like basically applaud what Hilltop Works and his team have managed to accomplish here because these are the types of racing experiences that we want to see more of and we want to see these risks taken and who would have thought that in 2021 the most abundant example of that would have been a game from 1999. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'll definitely make a point to include... Uh, it's hard to do links with like the podcast... Um, you know, descriptions and stuff like that. But, you know, Hilltop has a Patreon um, where he wants to do more of this sort of thing. And the team, you know, it's, there are, there are a number of names in the team. So I, I feel bad we're not going through everybody, but this was really a group effort. Um, and, you know, we'll provide a link to that uh, uh, at least on, on Twitter um, and speak to that in the description when we, when we actually publish this episode. But um, it, it is, I am so thankful to everybody involved with this for, for making this possible because, you know, yeah, exactly. Who would have thought that one of my favorite gaming experiences of the year uh, was something this old, this this sort of diamond in the rough that like has just never really, uh, for a, a load of reasons, has not been able to get the, the global appreciation and understanding that it has. And to me, it's not one of those games, it's not like a weird, curious oddity. It's not the type of thing that's like, oh, it's interesting to see what, you know, this could have been or like some like sort of wacky ideas that just, just never got picked up or dealt with again. I think it legitimately is an exciting game. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing where... You know, I, I feel one of my one of my hot takes over the years is that like I enjoyed Need for Speed Heat more than I enjoyed Forza Horizon 4. <laughs> and I feel like this game is almost a similar thing in as much as like, yeah, there are a lot of things objectively like not wrong with it or things that don't really hold up to today's standards. But if you just kind of really take a look at like what it's trying to do, the world it tries to build and the uh, the, the mechanisms, the JRPG mechanisms and stuff and how it tries to get there, it's just so much more interesting than just about any racing game that, that has come out in recent years. Um, I, I, I do fully believe that. Like we didn't even talk about, uh, and, and I don't fully understand it because I'm still kind of experimenting with it, but there's a whole like banking aspect to this game. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. checked that out, Brendan, but 
because you have like the two currencies, you have the RP and you have, you know, just yen, you can actually convert one to the other. And the yen is what you would use to like buy parts at, you know, the tune shop or something like that, or buy a car at a dealership, which is something you can also do in this game, though you never have to, you're never required to do that. But you can like take these bets where you're like, oh, we'll, you know, if you go through this bank, you can uh, invest like, uh, you can put like, you know, 10,000 RP in this bank. And if you never lose a race, you'll get like a two times or a three times return on your investment. And then they, they, they kind of go into these like percentages is how the interest works and stuff like that. And I've never had a very good financial mind. So I'm just like, <laughs> this is like so much more than anything I would expect from a racing game. It really, it really is just kind of a, one of those like weird like off off to the left like experimental ideas where it's like hey if you want to just try like betting on yourself i think there's an option where you can like invest in this mythical car that the bank is like backing <laughs> and you're like well the car may perform well or it may not so you may just like throw your money at this thing and you know you may get it all back and then some or you may just lose everything like it's just there you can find so many different ways to waste your time in this game <laughs> it's it's really incredible yeah, and, and that like whole element about the bank feels like a very kind of Japanese game design type thing as well, where there's this random concept thrown in that could probably be its own fucking simulation game in its own right in terms <laughs> yeah, of the exactly. the level of depth it has and compare comparatively to what the experience is trying to offer. And I'll be honest, it's not something I've really touched either. Um and that kind of sums up, I suppose, that we can talk about this game for an hour, but there's just so, so much um, content in here, and and the gameplay itself just has many different layers, and you can really make this experience your own, pretty much, which is what's exciting about it. There's obviously a linear story in here, but the means of getting to the end of it, it's it has everything you could want to make it a more customizable experience in the sense that the get reward system makes that your car probably not very compatible to what other people are using um you you can kind of dabble in this bank stuff as well um i'm not doubting as well i i'm betting there's some like really special random encounter cars that you can probably find if i was to hazard a guess i haven't seen any myself yet but that seems like a bit of an open goal to have a few of those in there so yeah. i suppose you could also just farm random encounters as well for hours on end to see what appears it does um, a TXR thing where you think that every car in the game is just some kind of JDM, you know, what you would expect. Then all of a sudden, like, a Camaro will show up or, like, a 911 will show up. They seem to be more late-game cars, but, like, these things do exist in the world. So just little surprises like that. You know, I, didn't, I don't even know if they, if they fully realized how much of a surprise it would be to see a car like that in a game like this. There's even, like, a Beetle. Like it's just an old, an old Volkswagen Beetle. Um, yeah, so there's a Testarossa too. Uh, wow, yeah, it's it's got a very interesting car lineup. Um, the 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 one thing I sort of wanted to actually open the episode with, but but I'll kind of close it out because it, it all kind of is the same in the end anyway. Is that there are a number of well, like there are two like key. Uh, uh, people who worked on this game, they're actually still at Square to this day. It's still work on games at Square Enix. Um, the producer, man by the name of Akatoshi Kawazu, uh, he has, uh, in, in later years, will become the director of the Saga series. 
Uh, and his most recent game that he produced was the uh, Legend of Mana that came out this year. Um, the scenario uh, writer, uh, Motomo Toriyama, has written for Final Fantasy. Uh, he wrote for 13 and the 7 Remake. So, you know, the people who were sort of the founding, the founding minds behind Racing Lagoon, still at Square Enix, um, you know, in spite of the fact that they don't really, you know, uh, bring the game up all that much anymore. Uh, and <laughs> you'll appreciate this if you um, if you like Square uh, Squaresoft's other racing game uh, that's a lot more terrible, the uh, the illustrious Driving Emotion Type S. But uh, you'll you'll be pleased to know that there was some crossover in terms of the personnel <laughs> there too. Uh, mostly a lot of the uh, car modelers and the uh, the track designers. Uh, there was some crossover between the people who worked on Racing Lagoon and uh, those folks who also did the same stuff for Type S uh, at Escape, which was the name of that developer. So, you know the names the names kind of go around. There's not there's not a ton of history about this out there, which is actually kind of sad i would think that a project like this would and especially all, all the attention that square games get you know you you would think that there would be a little bit more floating out there in terms of like an oral history about racing lagoon but at this point i really think it is you know the 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 fan translators like it's their story to write almost at this point like anything i look up about this game is uh just about the effort around that honestly more than uh, you know, especially because it just happened, as opposed to like you know the the development or any of the history of it. Yeah, exactly. And we we kind of t touched on the soundtrack earlier as well. And one of the names that were kind of a, a good contributor to the soundtrack is Takahito Takahito Iguchi, I believe is how you pronounce it. And um, I found that really interesting because um, they've actually contributed quite heavily to the Sonic the Hedgehog series over the, uh -huh. the kind of modern years, but. One particular title caught my eye, and it's Rhythm Thief and the Emperor's Treasure, which was uh, a Sega rhythm game that came out on the 3DS, oh, and wow. the soundtrack is very electric and jazz-inspired, which of mm. course kind of ties in with the type of um, the type of audio in this game, and it just really interested me because that game I felt had a very unique soundtrack, and it always kind of captured and caught me by surprise when I played it at the time, and yeah, it's pretty interesting to see that the same kind of same kind of subgenres are, are utilised between both Racing Lagoon and that game. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're not directly comparable by any means, but there's definitely a, a kind of a, a similar soundscape you can see in there. So it's, like you're saying, it's pretty interesting just seeing um, where some of the people who worked on this game ended up in industry. And as always, we, we have to do our call-outs from a soundtrack point of, uh, point of view. Definitely. Uh, the Machine Complete song, which I've put in Time Extend before, and when you play this game, you will hear it at the end of every race, is really like one of the best video game songs, I think, ever. It's, it's very <laughs> yeah. short, but oh my god, it's it's such a vibe. It's absolutely gorgeous. And this game has a humongous soundtrack. It's like 60 songs. Uh, yeah, mostly mostly uh, done by Noriko Matsueda, and then I think Iguchi handled like the production of it. Yep. So it was really it was really a two man effort, and the idea of like two people producing this much music. Because even if you look at like a Ridge Racer soundtrack, there's usually like a collection of like eight artists who will who will all share work between maybe like twelve songs. This game is just it's just mind blowing the the output that they got and the consistent quality of it through and through. Uh, yeah, if you if you don't play Racing Lagoon and uh, you haven't heard the soundtrack, definitely make sure you at least do that. Uh, there's a 
order to everyone who is listening who is not already <laughs> just put like a just put like an entire non-stop mix of the soundtrack at the end of this pod <laughs> it's like then I you might. can't get out of it <laughs> i might do that but yeah you know i i think that is just about the the best way that we could sum up this game if we were going to make our, our typical time extend you know hour and 10 minute pitch to anyone to play racing lagoon you know i think this is this is the only way you can really talk about it without getting into all of the particulars that you know the other mechanics in the game the story the weirdness of the story because you you could really talk about it forever even though it's not that long in terms of play time like only you know just just a matter of uh, of hours you know it's just because of what it represents and and just the fact that it exists at all i i feel like you could take way more time just trying to unpack the game and what everything means to talk about it as opposed to just like playing it straight through yeah exactly and i feel like we say this for every game pretty much nowadays but this is very much a, a kind of part of the time extend stable of games that tick all our boxes and and try and offer something that you just can't get anywhere else and, and we're always going to call that out that's the thing as soon as this fan translation was released in full pretty surprisingly actually given that it'd only been six months since that like first prologue yeah. had been done it was one that we immediately had on our radar and in kind of classic classic fashion for us we, we did want to get our teeth into it first before diving straight in which which has worked out well because we've been able to have these in-depth chats and at this point i think it's fair to say that we can talk about this game but in terms of doing it justice like you really do have to try and experience it yourself because it's just so wonder wonderfully 90s but also fresh because we've never actually had the chance to see much of this game at all unless you've kind of consumed videos of the, the japanese version on youtube so it's it's great being able to go in blind to a game like this because it's just an exp- it's just a scenario we don't really have that much with racing games to be honest. I mean, personally, the next one I'm hoping for is for Sega Rally 2006 to get a <laughs> an English translation for that fucking career mode because that's another example where you just couldn't get the full experience unless you had a clue what it was talking about and, and racing Lagoon yeah. was obviously in that camp. Um, so for now, like Racing Lagoon is, is fantastic in the sense that we, we have that English kind of experience that we can enjoy now, um, and, and who knows, maybe that's another one down the line that will get addressed. Yeah, I I remember when we started the Time Extend Discord, and um, you know, Chris, as I mentioned earlier, was one of like the uh, early people to join. He's been a great member and a great moderator, and. I, I feel like I remember him or maybe somebody else saying like, ah, oh, Racing Lagoon, it would, what a miracle it would be if that ever got translated. What a miracle <laughs> would be if, if, we, yeah. we, we, if we could ever actually play that game, but it'll never ever happen in a million years. And here we are, you know, like two years later uh, and, and we can all play it. And uh, it's really, it's really an amazing job that the team did. And I'm so thankful to them for doing it. Cause it's, you know, I, I, I think I, I basically said as much uh, the other day uh, on Twitter, but it's like, you know, it's like I've discovered like a, a beloved classic that in one sense, I feel like I always, it's like, it's just so nostalgic playing this game, even though I have no nostalgia <laughs> for it. It's like this weird yeah. deja vu. And it's like I'm almost being reunited with with the with a classic from my childhood, even though I was never able to actually play it in the first place. Uh, so 
you know, I think we, we, we can we can say it over and over again, but go check it out and uh, and thank you to everybody involved with that effort. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can't say thanks enough on that regard and and rightfully so. It, it seems to be getting traction that this translation has went out there, so it's great to see that as well. Lots of non like people like people outside like the racing game circles or whatever, like people outside of that kind of like Twitter sphere, like lots of just I think like JRPG fans, weird Japanese games, Squaresoft fans, like everybody's kind of finding this, uh, finding their way to it for the first time, which is really, really exciting to see. It's actually not too dissimilar from the phenomenon with like Forza Horizon, especially hmm. with yeah. FH5, just like how everybody's playing this game. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's one of those like rare surprises like when m2 uh redid virtual racing for the switch it's like that thing that like i never <laughs> saw coming and now that yeah. has it's like made my year so uh so yeah and 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 with that said you know just uh you know typical conclusion i guess thanks everybody for listening um we put on on uh, i think it, i think you put in the bio uh brendan which was a good idea on twitter but uh if you come across us on on twitter uh DM us for an invite to Discord if you want in on that party. It's a great place to be. A number of the people, uh, like Sid, like Chris, uh, who worked on the Racing Lagoon translation, are actually like frequent. You know, you'll you'll definitely see Chris around. Obviously, he's a moderator, but you'll see these names <laughs> yeah. pop in and out, um, which is really cool. Just like great, you know, creators within within our community, just like kind of popping in and. Um, to be able to hear from a primary source about this game is really, really not, not necessarily primary source, but someone who seriously like sunk their teeth into it, got their hands into the code and everything about the game is always, always one of the coolest things about, about that discord that I'm very, very glad that has, uh, has unfolded the way it has. It's a, it's a fun place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I often forget how many creators and stuff are actually there because I've got, it's got to this point now where if some people are talking about a specific subject, I'm always half expecting whoever might be involved in that subject to just randomly pop in and add some insight because it's happened quite a few times now and it it's great because obviously as the community grows and more people get involved in conversation, they kind of go through that experience as well where they'll be talking about Sega Rally Revo or, or Colin McRae Rally or, or one of these type of fan translations and stuff and then you can get like kind of information almost from the horse's mouth. Nothing nothing incredibly groundbreaking in terms of like it being risky to talk about but just little bit tidbits here and there that, that are just great to see being shared and, and yeah as as you've just said Adam and we always say arguably the Discord is the, the kind of the greatest achievement thus far in terms of where the outreach of the pod has went. Yeah. Yeah, so so definitely go join us there. Uh, Twitter is time underscore extend uh, for for more on that. And yeah, I think that just about wraps it up. So everybody, thanks for listening, uh, and you'll hear from us again soon. Thanks for listening, guys.
Ah, that was fun.